Good evening. Good to see everyone out this evening. Good to have some visitors from uh, Waverly Baptist with us, and uh, good to have each one of you. Looking forward to our services tonight. Let's go ahead and get started with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. Lord, thank you for, uh, Lord, all that you do for us. Lord, we thank you for the victories. We thank you for the valleys. Lord, we ask tonight that you would be with us, Lord, that you would uh, give us uh, Lord, something from your word tonight that we can feast on, that we can uh, have a better walk with you and get encouraged and excited about the, uh, the end times, knowing that, uh, Lord, I believe that we're very close. And, Lord, I, I'm looking forward uh, to that glorious appearing and uh, that blessed hope that we have. Lord, I ask that, uh, Lord, if there's one here or under the sound of my voice, uh, Lord, that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. Well, we love you and thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Good evening. For our first song tonight, we'll be singing page 473, Heavenly Sunlight. Page 473, we'll be singing all three verses. For our second song tonight, we'll be singing page 160, My Jesus, I Love Thee. Page 160, we'll be singing the first, third, and the last verse. Oh. 
singing tonight. Again, I do appreciate you being here. It's good to have uh, Dr. Cook with us again this evening. I always uh, am encouraged uh, whenever he comes. And it's been, he's been here a couple times since I've been here, so I appreciate him being here. Uh, we're looking at trying to get over, uh, getting back to do a Passover uh, demonstration for us and uh, look forward to doing that as well. So tonight we want to give him as much time as he needs as the Lord leads him. So Dr. Cook, would you come please? Well, good evening. I feel like I'm tipping over this way just a little bit. I don't know. There's a lot more people on this side than this side. Yeah, pastor sat down, now we're even. Okay. All right. No, it used to be that way, nothing more. Yeah. Uh, Pastor, I, I just about never recognized him uh, since the last time I saw him. He he uh, really trimmed down and everything, that diabetes and stuff, and uh, I need to do that. But uh, uh, my diabetes sometimes gets a little out of control, but uh, I like to eat sweets. What can I say? <laughs> Amen. Well, tonight I want to uh, uh, speak to you about a message I've entitled uh, The Seat of Satan, and it's taken from... Uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 2, and uh, we'll begin reading in verse number 12, I believe. Uh, but I want to I look at the seat of Satan. Uh, I want to thank you all for coming out tonight. Thank you for having me. Uh, again, thank you, church, for your support of our ministry, your prayers for our ministry. Uh, we have several meetings already planned uh, for next year. Uh, I, I was invited for for two weeks to come to Fiji. <laughs> you know, I'll have to really suffer for the Lord in Fiji. Uh, uh, but there's a, there's a pastor there. He's a missionary pastor. He's been there for many years. And uh, he has four sons, and they're all pastors, and they all have a church throughout the island. And uh, he's going to bring them all together in a great big uh, auditorium. And we're going to preach on Israel and end-time prophecy and also uh, teach in a Bible college for a week. So I'm really looking forward. I've never been to Fiji. I've never been to that part of the world except for maybe, you know, farther north in, uh, in China and, and also in Japan and Philippines. But uh, uh, that's as close to the island of Fiji I've ever been. So I'm really looking forward to going there. Uh, then in April and also uh, in October next year, we plan on going back to uh, Cuba. Uh, we've been to Cuba 19 times, and uh, we've seen over 10,000 people saved in the last eight years alone. And I'm just excited about going back there, uh, going back to Ukraine. And, uh, and uh, I spent a month there last year, and so I'm looking forward to going back there and working with my good friend, uh, Yevgen Kazachenko. Uh, we helped start a church called Menorah Baptist Church there. And then uh, also going back to England, Lord willing, and uh, to Oxford, England. And uh, I'll be doing a, a Zoom uh, sermon, uh, sermon on Zoom uh, for uh, Hepzibah, uh Oxford Baptist Church. And uh, that's an interesting uh, name for a church, but that's what it's called. And then also um, going back to Birmingham, uh, England. I uh, have a good friend. Actually, he's from, uh, he's from Hickory, North Carolina. And uh, but he married a, a lady when he was in the Air Force about 30-some years ago. And so he's been living in England ever since. His name is Larry Curtis. And I've preached for him on three separate occasions. And uh, hopefully I'll be able to go to a place called Nancy's Farm in, uh, in Wales. And um, they are very pro-Israel. And they have a, a meeting in a church uh, that's actually in a house. And the house was built before the United States was ever founded. Uh, it was built in the 1600s. And it's got 10 bedrooms and five bathrooms. And it sits on a black sheep farm. And plus they have probably uh, 100 head of horses there. So I know, Penny, you'd probably like to see that yourself. But it's an incredible place to go. So the Lord's opened a lot of doors. I have several meetings uh, coming up uh, remaining in this year. And so pray for us as we travel. Um, in a couple weeks, I'll be in Morristown, Tennessee, and uh, then North Carolina. And somebody, whoever figures out my schedule, usually gets a road map and a yardstick. And uh, that's what my wife always said anyway. 
So, uh, but we're excited about what the Lord's doing and allowing us to go out and preach. So, uh, pray for us as we do that. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 2, verse number 12. And the angel of the church in Pergamos wrote, uh, it says, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which has the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my, uh, my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us to glean from your word tonight. Uh, thank you, Lord, for this congregation that's gathered here tonight. And I pray that you would bless them, Father. Give us all uh, insight into your word. Help us to understand, to glean, to apply to our life the lessons and precepts and principles that you would have us to learn. Father, I pray that you would be glorified in all that's said and done. And Lord, as we live in these last days, which I believe we live in the last days of the last days, uh, Father, stir our hearts to new heights of Christian living. Help us, Father, to be faithful. And help us to be good soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Notice what it says. It says, I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And uh, when you think about Satan's seat, uh, keep in mind that uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of places that could apply to. But we're talking about the church of Pergamos now. This is over uh, in Asia Minor. And notice what he says next. He says, But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And God says, Which thing I hate. Now, God uh, he says several times some different things that he hates. and He hates the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. That's when you have the laity lording over the congregation. Uh, pastors and, and ministers are not to lord over their sheep. Uh, they are to love them, and, uh, but never lord over them. And uh, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans uh, did just that. And then God says to the church of Pergamos, Repent. Or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. The one thing that I want to emphasize tonight is that Jesus said that Satan dwelled in Pergamos. Wow. Think about that. Now, you've got to remember, Satan is not omnipresent. He can only be at one place at one time. Uh, he can only... Uh, he can only tempt one person at a time. You remember when Jesus talked to Peter and he said, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired thee that he might sift you as wheat. <laughs> I mean, to think that the Lord said to Simon Peter, Satan has desired thee that he might sift you as wheat. Uh, you know, when you sift something, you, you, you ladies know what a sifter is, and you know you, you put flour in that, and then you shake it back and forth, and all the good stuff falls to the bottom, and what's left? The, the parts that you don't like, parts that you don't want, the clumps, if you will. Satan has desired to sift you. That's what Jesus was saying. He wanted, he wanted to suppress all the good things that Peter did and leave only the things that were not positive, exposed and so satan can do that to you now there's another thing that satan uh can do and that's winnow you remember the story of winnowing and uh when you think about gideon and what he was doing up there on the mountain they go up on a high mountain they put all the grain that they cut down and threshed and and they put it in this big uh sheet and they toss it up and down up and down and what would the wind do it'd blow away the chaff and leave only the grain well, Satan's not trying to winnow you. He's trying to sift you. And that's what uh, 
Jesus said basically concerning Pergamos, that Satan, his seat was there. And when you think about <clears throat> Pergamos, think about this. Pergamos was an influential city in the Roman Empire. And in that city, it was considered to be the center of the arts in that part of the world, in Asia Minor. It had a theater that set 10,000 people, uh, had the second largest library in the ancient world, second only to that uh, of, of, uh, of Egypt. And um, Egypt had the, the largest one, but uh, Mark Anthony gave this particular library to Cleopatra as a wedding gift. And when you look at that theater there, you can see how many people it seated. Now, I've been to a couple of different theaters in Israel. Uh, they're nothing even close to this size. This one would seat 10,000 people. And I don't know that that probably wasn't social distancing, but, you know, they had a, at least 10,000 people could sit there. When you think about Pergamos, think about it as the religious center. Uh, it's often referred to as the temple keepers because in the city of Pergamos, uh, they had four major temples. They had the uh, temple to Athena, uh, the queen of the gods, if you will. You had uh, Zeus, the, the king of the gods, and the Roman emperor was there. But they also had the temple of Asclepius. Now, the temple of Asclepius is probably not as well known to you as Athena or Zeus or the emperor uh, of Rome. Uh, but here would be the, the mountain on which you would find many of these temples located. This is, a, of course, an animated sketch of it. Uh, and Asclepius is the father of medicine. How many of you work in the medical field? Anybody here? Okay, I have two daughters that work in the medical field. One's a nurse, one's an ultrasound tech. And, the other, and the, her husband is a nurse anesthetist. I know Adam's not here, so Adam Amos could probably nail this one. But uh, when you think about the fact that uh, Asclepius was considered to be the, the god of medicine, uh, notice that staff with a serpent uh, woven around it. And that's the same symbol that they use today in hospitals. And so a lot of medical staff have a pin that they wear. Or you'll see this in a hospital. Uh, it's a universal, universal medical symbol. And then, of course, the Temple of Athena. And this right here is called the Seat of Satan. That's what it's called, the Seat of Satan. And you say, where in the world is that? Look at all those people gazing up at it. Would you believe it if I told you that this particular... Uh, this particular structure, as large as it is, massive as it is, was disassembled, and uh, it was moved to Berlin, Germany, and it was put into a museum and reassembled. And that is the seat of Satan in Berlin, Germany Museum. And uh, it's interesting that you can see that. And they have, uh, you know, restored some of the things that were damaged and what have you. Question, what is the seat of Satan? That's a good question because the Bible talks about it. We ought to know what it, what it means. And when you think about the seed of Satan, keep in mind that the word seed in the Greek, it's, it's the same word for throne. It's used 62 times in the New Testament, 48 times in the book of Revelation alone. In the book of Revelation, it's usually referring to the throne of God, not the throne of Satan. <clears throat> Some people have asked me, they say, well, isn't Satan's residence in hell? And the answer to that is no. Satan doesn't reside in hell. Uh, a lot of people think he has a red suit with horns and a pointy tail and a pitchfork, but that's not the Satan of the Bible. Uh, as a matter of fact, the Bible has much to say about where Satan resides today. And uh, he's not omnipresent. He's not omniscient. Uh, omniscient and he's not omnipotent he's not all powerful he doesn't know everything he's not all present uh, he's a created being he was an angel a fallen angel his name was Lucifer and Lucifer was overtaken in pride uh, he was the anointed cherub that covered the throne of God the, uh, angels have ranking uh, the archangel Michael for instance is in charge of a lot of things he's actually the protector of Israel in particular. 
But when you think about the ranking or the rank and file of angels, Lucifer, who is now called Satan, was the most powerful angel. But he wanted to be like God. He wanted to have people worship him like God. He still wants those things. And uh, ultimately, I've read the end of the book, and he's not going to get them. And, uh, but uh, when you think about Satan, listen to what Isaiah says. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to, to the ground which did weaken the nations? Uh, and the Lord said, Job 1.7, And the Lord said unto Satan, Where comest thou? Listen to the answer that Satan gave. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from going or from walking up and down in it. He's not in hell. Notice what else we can find in Ephesians 2 2. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. He is called the prince of the power of the air. Not only that, in 1 Peter 5 8, who's our adversary? It's not our neighbor across the aisle, uh, like in some churches. I, I was in one church one time. It split so many times, they changed the name to Annual Split Baptist Church. <laughs> I'm just kidding. And, uh, and, and I had a pastor, uh, uh, an evangelist friend of mine, said he went to this one church, and he asked, he said, he asked the pastor, he said, why, you've grown. He said, yeah, we're not big enough to split yet. And sure enough, the next year they were big enough to split. Well, our adversary is not one another, amen? Uh, our adversary is the devil. And the Bible says he's like a roaring lion walking about to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. And uh, Satan, when Jesus was uh, crucified, when he was buried, and when he rose the third day, he conquered death, hell, and the grave. Amen? And, uh, and Genesis 3.15 is the first messianic prophecy that says a seed of a woman would one day crush the head of that serpent. And so he did that when he... Uh, died on the cross, buried, and rose again. And today he's declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. That's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Satan has been judged, but he hasn't yet been incarcerated. Now, I just passed Putnamville Correctional Facility right down the road here on 40, and I used to teach school in a juvenile correctional facility very similar to that except it was for 18-year-olds and younger, and or 17-year-olds and younger. When they turned 18, they went to Lucasville, Ohio, where the electric chair was at. And, um, but I used to teach uh, in that. And, uh, you know, hell is the jail. The lake of fire is the penitentiary, okay? So death and hell will one day be cast into a lake of fire, and that's eternal. Well... I want to talk about the past, the present, and the future seat of Satan. We know that Pergamos serves as the past seat of Satan, but today Pergamos um, is in ruins. Now, during the days of, of the first century church in particular, we know that Pergamos was filled with depravity and wickedness, and uh, it was a place really of decision for believers. If you were a, dis, uh, a believer in the city of Pergamos, uh, it was a place of decision. Make no mistake about it. Every day, you had to make some hard choices. You had to make some uh, important decisions. And uh, <coughs> we know that it was also a place of difficulty for Christians. Uh, why? Because they lived in a pagan city where idols were worshipped. And so it, it was very difficult for them. And their, their faith was tested every day. Let me say something to you. In these last days, the same thing's happening to us. Uh, we're going to have to make some hard choices, some decisions. And uh, it's going to be difficult to name the name of Jesus. It already has become difficult. Here in America, uh, there are people who go out and, and on the outside of a building hold a service and I just read today that they were arrested for worshiping. I've heard other people that were arrested uh, for singing on the street. And, uh, I mean, what kind of country is America becoming 
when people can't exercise their right to worship and exercise their right to express their faith in God. Uh, my friends, uh, we're becoming like a lot of other countries are in the world. In China, uh, if you're caught uh, worshiping, uh, they'll destroy your house and put you in prison. Uh, and, and it used to be that way in Russia, not so much anymore, but at, at one time, especially during the Cold War, uh, churches were not allowed to, to hold services. Uh, and most churches in Russia at that time were museums. I, I, I've been going to Ukraine since the late 90s. And um, I've been in uh, places where, well, actually the first church I ever preached in was Sputnik Baptist Church. How about that? Sputnik. And I thought that was pretty cool. And, uh, but, you know, it's, it's difficult in some countries. And uh, today, uh, it's becoming more and more difficult in America. For believers, the seat of Satan was a place of death. Oftentimes, people who exercised their faith in Jesus Christ uh, were martyred. And uh, the Bible tells us about one particular martyr. Look at Revelation uh, 2.13. I know thy works. And where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith. What a testimony to the saints of Pergamos. What a testimony that even in the midst of adversity, their faith remained stable. Their faith remained consistent. Their faith still testified of the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice verse uh, 13, the second half. Even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. I know it's hard for us to even comprehend that something like that could happen in America, but to be honest with you, I couldn't comprehend a few years ago or even last year, that people would be arrested for having church. Uh, the church out in California, John MacArthur, uh, that church is being fined a thousand or ten thousand dollars a day for holding church, and they're resisting, and uh, they're still having church. And so we need to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ because it's not going to get better; it's going to get worse as we enter into uh, the extreme regions of the last days of the last days. Antipas, how was he martyred? Would you believe this? They put him into a brass bull that had a trap door, and they put him inside of that brass bull, and then they lit a fire underneath it. Imagine that. And that brass bull became hot. And the holes in the nostrils had tubes from the stomach of that bull that extended to the nose. And smoke would come out of the nose of that brass bull. And they could hear him screaming inside. And they could smell his flesh burning as he was roasted alive in this brass bull. That's how Antipas was martyred. <clears throat> Question. We can't answer this, but question. Are we willing to suffer for our faith? I mean, I'd like for us all to say yes, amen. But until you get to that point, do you really know? I don't know how you feel, but I, I, I since my wife passed away two years ago, I don't fear death like I once did. I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm, I may be like that guy who's in the car with his friend. He's, they were talking about death, and the, and the passenger said, well, I'm not afraid of death. I'm, I'm, I know I'm going to go to heaven. And about that time, the car swerved off the road and went into a ditch, and semi-truck almost hit him head on. And the guy looks over at his friend in the passenger seat who's now in the passenger floorboard. He said, I, did, I thought you just said that you weren't afraid of death. And <laughs> The passenger said, well, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Amen? I think there's a lot of times, you know, we, we seem to think, well, I would be willing to um, let someone boil me alive or roast me alive in a, 
brass bull like Antipas did, but I, you know, until we're there, it's hard to, hard to know. Uh, I'd like to think that uh, I'd be willing to die for the cause of Christ, wouldn't you? The seed of Satan. In the past, we know it was in Pergamos. Where is it today? And keep in mind, Satan can only be in one place at one time. I know that Jesus said that Satan wanted to sift Peter. I'm not sure Satan has ever personally tried to sift me. I would like to think that I merited his attention. I would like to think that my Christian walk is such that God, that Satan rather, would be intimidated by the work that God is allowing me to do. I would like to think that I'm causing a disruption to Satan's plan. But I'm not certain that I ever have or ever will for that matter. We know that Satan has many fallen angels, uh, his imps, if you will, that do much of his bidding. Uh, but Satan himself, personally, can only tempt one person at a time. And so, where is the seat of Satan today? That's a good question. And I tell you, it could be in several different places. In several different countries. We could talk about North Korea. We could talk about China. We could talk about Russia. We could talk about the United States. Where is the throne of Satan today? Pergamos is no longer that seat of Satan. There's Pergamos. It's in ruins. I've been there. I've been to, uh, not, not to Pergamos, but I've been to Greece, and I've seen the ruins of, uh, of Athens, Greece, which are very similar to the ruins here in Pergamos. Uh, God describes our world as this present evil world. Now, I'm not here to make everybody feel like doom and gloom, but the fact of the matter is, that's what the Bible says. This is not my home. I'm just passing through. Thank God this is not my home. Job said, man who is born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. Boy, nothing could be more true than that. But when you think about what 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times, the Bible says, Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Doctrines of devils. We're living in a day where people are departing from the faith. Uh, I know a lot of churches that were once strong, evangelical, fundamental churches that preach the word of God that today have abandoned the faith and have embraced doctrines of devils. Someone said, uh, the, the farther you get from the Lord, the less clothes you wear. Boy, isn't that the truth? You see that on TV every day. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. That word perilous means dangerous or hazardous. We're living in dangerous, hazardous times. Now, I could get depressed about all of that, but the Lord said, See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. As I see all of these things unfolding before my eyes. I mean, 50 years ago, things that are happening today, we wouldn't even have thought of it. But today we, we see it. And that just means one thing. We're that much closer to the Lord. We're that much closer to going to heaven. And uh, Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, 5, that in the last days people would have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. A lot of people today are religious but lost. A lot of politicians claim to be Christians but when you see what they support and what they do, <laughs> I, I don't know about you, but you, God said we can be a fruit inspector and you'll know them by their fruit. And if they don't have fruit, guess what? They got a problem. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer what? Persecution. Now, we don't want to hear that. I mean, we like to hear about the blessings of God, the goodness of God, the love of God. But don't talk about persecution. Don't talk about perilous time. The Word of God's not a buffet line. You can't just pick and choose what you want. You have to see it all together. Amen? 
Well, evil men and seducers are, shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And we're seeing that today. Who can you believe other than this book? You know, I used to tell people, look, don't put me on a pedal, so I'll disappoint you. You know, that's the nature of the flesh. And uh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm not perfect. Spend some time with me, you'd see. Amen? Tens of thousands of Christians today are being murdered in Nigeria by Muslims, and no one says a word about it. You let one Christian kill a Muslim, see what happens. This world goes out of its mind. But tens of thousands of Christians are being massacred in Nigeria and other parts of the world. When you think about Christians being killed in Egypt today, copied Christians. Now, they don't have the same Baptist doctrine that I have, but they do believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And that's all you need to do to, uh, to get to heaven. Uh, you know, someone said denominational name tags. If you go to heaven, they'll fall off. If you go to hell, they'll burn off. Uh, you know, I believe in doctrine. Make no mistake about it. But I believe that there are some other people that are saved in other denominations. As long as they have repented of their sin and trusted the death, burial, and resurrection as the only means of salvation, I believe that's all you need to get to heaven. Amen? And then there's Iraqi Christians being killed. Do you know where one of the greatest revivals is taking place today? Would you believe it if I told you the Christians in Iran are having a revival? There are so many Muslims coming to Jesus Christ in Iran that it's got the Ayatollah all bent out of shape. So where is the seat of Satan today? That's a good question, isn't it? As I said, it can be a lot of different countries. It may be one country for a while, another country, and I don't know. The Bible doesn't really tell us. But I can tell you that a case could be made even that America has become the seat of Satan. Now, I'm not saying America is. I'm saying America, a case could be made that America is becoming the seat of Satan or has become the seat of Satan. We, are, we have great influence over the rest of the world. And uh, we have a lot of things that are wrong with our country right now. Now, I'm, I spent 13 years in the Army National Guard, and, and I have a ribbon for the Desert Storm, the first Gulf War. And I, I'm, you know, I, I love this country, and I defend it. But my friends, our country has some major issues right now. And uh, we as Christians need to pray. The Bible says if we will pray and humble ourselves and seek God's face and turn from our wicked way, God would hear from heaven, would heal our land. And so we need to consider that on a daily basis. The Bible says in Psalm 9, 17, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. Wow. Our forefathers claim to be Christians, to be on the uh, Constitutional Committee and the, uh, the different offices that they held uh, at the very infancy of the United States. Today, people criticize you for being a Christian. Uh, they're already attacking uh, Donald Trump's uh, Supreme Court pick because she's a Christian and because she claims the name of Christ. Haley... Uh, the, uh, what's her last name, the, this, McEnany? Yeah, uh, the spokesperson for the White House uh, is often criticized because of her faith. I, I admire her because of her faith. Uh, you know, when you and I got saved, uh, people probably congratulated us. Now today, people call you a fool. But the Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah in the cities about them in the uh, like manner, giving themselves over to fornication, going after strange flesh, that's homosexuality, by the way, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. That's what God says. Now, you can believe whatever you want to believe, but I believe God. Amen. The Bible says, for many walk, this is what Paul told the Philippians, for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping. Paul says, I'm weeping, I'm crying that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. And he doesn't stop there. He says, 
whose, God, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Sounds a lot like America. Sounds a lot like America. So we've seen the past, we've seen the present. What about the future seat of Satan? Well, I got some news. Just as God identifies the past seat of Satan as Pergamos, God also identifies the future seat of Satan. And so let's see where the future seat of Satan is going to be. During the tribulation, this king of fierce countenance, understanding dark things, is going to rise up. He comes on a platform of peace, uh, and then he breaks his peace with Israel. And he, we talked about this this morning when we talked about in Sunday school the uh, Abraham Accords. And Daniel chapter 9 verse 27 uh, speaks of a covenant between the Antichrist and Israel. And so when we look at the tribulation period, uh, I think we need to go to this particular passage of scripture because it really gives us a picture of what the seat of Satan is going to be and where it's going to be. This is in uh, Zechariah chapter 5, verses 5 through 11. And in Zechariah 5, notice what it says. Then the angel that talked with me went forth and said unto me, Lift up now thine eyes and see what is this that goeth forth. And I said, What is it? And he said, This is an ephah that goeth forth. He said, Moreover, this is their resemblance through all the earth. Now, what is an ephah? Well, think about a, a wicker, a wicker basket. A clothes hamper. It's about this tall, about this big around it, okay? And you've probably seen little children get inside of it and play, right? And so think about an ephah being a wicker basket, and inside of that basket is going to be a woman, okay? And it has a lead lid on top of it. And notice what it says. And behold, there was lifted up a talent of lead, and this is a woman that sitteth in the midst of the ephah, or basket. And so he said, this is wickedness. That woman has a name. It's called wickedness. And he cast it in the midst of the ephah, and he cast the weight of lead upon the mouth thereof. Then lifted, up my, uh, then lifted I up mine eyes, and looked, and behold, there came out two women, and the wind was in their wings, and they had wings like the wings of a stork, and they lifted up the ephah between the earth and the heaven. Then said I to the angel that talked with me, Whither do they bear the ephah? So now you can see these two women have wings like storks, and they pick up this basket with this woman inside and a lead lid on top, and they pick it up and they carry it off between heaven and earth. And so Zacharias says, to the angel, he says, where are they taking this basket? Where are they taking the ephah? Do you see the picture here? And here's the answer. He said, and he said unto me to build it in house in the land of Shinar. Wow. Where's the seat of Satan in the future? It's in the land of Shinar. He said, where, where in the world is the land of Shinar? Well, I'm glad you asked because the Bible tells us that's where the Tower of Babel was built by Nimrod. All the way back in the very first book of the Bible. This is where Nimrod wanted to build a tower up into heaven. He said, let us make us a tower. Let us build us you know, a tower so that you know, up into the heavens. And not one mention of praying and asking what God's will was. Let's look at it. Genesis 11 verse 2. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain where? In the land of Shinar. And they dwelt there. This is where Nimrod took his family and all the people that were with him to the land of Shinar. Where's the land of Shinar? It's between the Mesopotamian and Euphrates rivers. That's where Mesopotamia is. It's called the land between two rivers. That's what the word Mesopotamia means. And so this basket is taken to the land of Shinar. And they said, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach into heaven. Let us make us a name. Let us be scattered, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Now, think about 
a tower looking like a ziggurat. Now, this is a ziggurat of Ur. This is found near Kuwait. And uh, this is uh, the kind of tower that Nimrod was trying to build. Uh, he wasn't trying to build a tower all the way up into heaven. That's ridiculous. I mean, he wasn't stupid. And uh, he, he realized that. But he was trying to build a ziggurat. Is what he was trying to build. A tower. And this became the religious center for the community. And what we see Nimrod doing is he's wanting to build the first global community. Hey, if not, we're all going to be scattered. So let's all huddle together. I don't know about you, but I cannot stand living in big cities. I wouldn't live in a, You couldn't give me a house in a big city. I don't want anything to do with the big city. I'm a country boy, okay? My nearest neighbor is 300 yards away, and that's too close. I, I, I like the country. I like to go out in my backyard and see deer walking around and raccoons and squirrels, and I don't care for the snakes, but every once in a while I see one of them too. But uh, bottom line is I like the country. I like, you know, I like that elbow room, so to speak. But they wanted to build a big community, a global community. Can you imagine building a tower like that? And by the way, the priest of their religion, cult, if you will, he was the most powerful person. He was more powerful than the king. And yet, what we have found in this ziggurat of Ur, that on top of many of these ziggurats can be found a zodiac. How about that? Uh, you remember the zodiac we saw on Tiberius. And it was in the floor of a synagogue. A zodiac. Now, you all know what a zodiac is, right? And you probably know what your sign is too, right? Now, don't, don't play coy with me. You know what your sign is. Yeah, I'm an Aquarius. I was born in February. And some of you are Cancer and Capricorns and all these other things, okay? But when you think about, look at that. There are 12 different symbols on a zodiac. And uh, these were found on top of ziggurats before the law was ever given. This predates Judaism. It predates the law. Now, rabbis will tell you that today there is both an oral law and a written law. And you can't argue against that because there is. I mean, how did Adam and Eve's sons, Cain and Abel, how did they know to bring sacrifice to God? Remember, Cain brought a fruit. No, Cain brought a flock. And Abel brought a flock. And God accepted the bloody flock, and he rejected Cain's fruit, didn't he? Because the fruit represents the work of his own hands. How did they know to do that? Because God instructed Adam and Eve to teach their sons. Oral law. Not until Moses went on Mount Sinai did they receive the written law. And that's several hundred years later. So, what we see on these ziggurats that predate the law and predate Judaism is a zodiac. And it doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? I'll help you make some sense out of it. When you look there, you see up here at the top uh, the different figurines. And, and some of the symbols are different depending on uh, Babylonian or Greek or Roman and that type of thing. But look at that lion. You see, Satan has taken the zodiac and turned it 180 degrees. You remember, in Hebrew, they read from right to left. And if you begin with Virgo, the virgin, and work your way counterclockwise until the end, the last one is Leo the lion. And it tells the life story and the characteristics and all the things about Jesus Christ from his virgin birth all the way around until he comes back as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, I have a sermon on the, the, uh, the gospel of the Zodiac because each of the 12 symbols uh, picture some aspect of Jesus Christ. It's incredible. And so I believe that the Zodiac initially told the story of the Messiah that would come. Nimrod died while his wife, Semiramis, was with child. And Semiramis 
when she gave birth, she gave birth to um, a son, Tammuz. And she said her son, Tammuz, was both her son and the reincarnation of her husband, Nimrod. So her son became both her child and her husband at the same moment. And this started a new religion, one based upon uh, some very wicked, depraved uh, ideas. And uh, Semiramis became the god of fertility, if you will, uh, in this type of religion. And then later on it was adopted uh, by Assyria. They, they changed Semiramis' name to Ishtar and Tammuz. Phoenicia, Astarte, and Baal. You want to know where Baal worship came from? It came from Semiramis, uh, the wife uh, of, uh, of Nimrod. Egypt, Isis, and Osiris. It's not the same Isis that we know today. And then uh, in, in Greece, um, Aphrodite, the goddess of love and, uh, and Eros. Uh, and then in Rome, Venus and Cupid. Well, there's Valentine's Day. It came from a cult that Semiramis started. Today, Babylon, the land of Shinar, is called Babylon. Or better known as Iraq. That will be the future seat of Satan. During the tribulation period, Iraq, Baghdad, Iraq, will become the economic and political and religious capital of the Antichrist. That's the seat of Satan. Saddam Hussein, he dreamed of rebuilding this city and become a modern-day uh, Nimrod, if you will, or modern, have a modern-day Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. And he built some beautiful structures uh, during his uh, time in, in power. And, uh, of course, he tried to rebuild the walls and tried to uh, make it uh, fortified against enemies, that type of thing. Of course, it didn't work today because you got jet airplanes and they got drones and all these other things. But the Bible has much to say about Babylon. As a matter of fact, Babylon is the second most mentioned city in the Bible. Well, if it's mentioned 300 times in the Bible, we probably ought to know something about it, right? The most mentioned city in the Bible is Jerusalem. It's mentioned 800 times in the Bible, but Babylon's mentioned 300 times. It's the second most mentioned city in the Bible, so it's pretty significant. It's also the most mentioned topic in the book of the Revelation. How about that? That, that probably surprises you. Uh, you would think that Jesus would be the most mentioned topic of the book of the Revelation or the second coming or the Antichrist or something. But no, it's Babylon. And uh, it's mentioned 44 out of 404 verses in the book of Revelation. It's mentioned one out of every nine verses. It's mentioned in 11% of the book of the Revelation. Think about it. Babylon. You want to know who the great horror of the book of Babylon is, or the book of uh, Revelation is? The great horror of Babylon is Babylon. It's not the Roman Catholic Church. The great horror of the book of Revelation is the city of Babylon. Notice what it says. Come hither, I will show thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit on a scarlet-collared beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet collar, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And notice, upon her forehead was the name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. So who is the great whore of the book of Revelation? It's Babylon. You have God's words right there describing it. The capital of the Antichrist. It's not Jerusalem. Yes, he sits upon the throne and declares himself to be God. He desecrates the temple. It's called the abomination of desolation, spoken of by the prophet Daniel and also by the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 24, 15. But when you think about 
the political and economic capital of Antichrist, the beast, the seat of Satan. Think Babylon. Babylon. And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. The city can't reign over the kings of the earth, but the leader in that city can. And that's the beast. That's the Antichrist. The man of sin, son of perdition. And when you think about the prophecies that are yet unfulfilled concerning Babylon, it's amazing how many prophecies concerning Babylon have never yet been fulfilled, but they will be. Let me just share a few with you. Isaiah 13, 29, uh, excuse me, Isaiah 13, 20. It shall never be inhabited, neither shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation, neither shall the Arabian pitch tent there. Well, Baghdad, Iraq today has uh, thousands and thousands of people living in it, okay? So that hasn't been fulfilled. And thou shalt be desolate forever. Well, Baghdad, Iraq still exists, so that hasn't been fulfilled. Uh, in Revelation chapter 18, it reveals how God will one day destroy the city of Babylon, which is the seat of Satan during the tribulation. Look at what it says. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day. <coughs> Death and mourning and famine. And she shall be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord who judges her. Let me take a drink here for it. Notice the next verse. <coughs> in verse uh, Revelation 18.10. And it talks about those kings that have joined forces with the Antichrist, standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. Anyone ever heard that verse before? <coughs> I'll tell you, when I heard that verse, 9-11, and everybody was attributing this verse of Scripture to New York City. But New York City is not Babylon. New York City is not the capital of the beast during the tribulation. But we know that <clears throat> Babylon is going to fall in one hour. Four times in the New Testament, just four, you find the word alleluia, interesting word, it's translated the same in every language on earth. If you want to talk about Alleluia in Russian, it's Alleluia. If you want to talk about it in Hebrew, it's Alleluia. Uh, it's the same word, translated the same word in every different uh, language. But what we see here is it's recorded only four times in the New Testament, and all four times are found in Revelation chapter 19. Verses 1 through 6. Now let me say this. In chapter 17 and 18 of the book of Revelation. Chapter 17 and 18 the book of Revelation. The topic is Babylon. In both chapters. The whole chapters deal with Babylon. And then chapter 18. Babylon is destroyed in one hour. And what we find in chapter 19. The first six verses is that heaven is rejoiced and singing alleluia in response to the destruction of the seed of Satan. <clears throat> As Christians, what time is it on God's prophetic calendar? And the answer to that, <clears throat> it's time to wake up. Why? Because the clock is ticking. <clears throat> Not only is the clock ticking, Jesus is coming soon for his bride, the church. Do you have loved ones who are lost? Do you have friends and neighbors, co-workers? Do you have people that you want to see saved? Family members, perhaps? We need to wake up. And we need to be about the Father's business. You see, I, I tell the story when I was in college playing football at Marshall University after the plane crash. 
my wife and I got married at 19, so we were just young kids when we got married. And a couple weeks after we were married, uh, football practice, we got married on Friday, football practice started on Monday, so I had very little honeymoon. And uh, a couple weeks later, in the middle of the night, my wife awakened me, and she was crying. And I said, honey, what's wrong? She said, you hit me. I said, what? She goes, you hit me. Well, you were asleep, you hit me. And her nose was bleeding. And I loved my wife. I wouldn't have hurt her for anything in the world, but I was asleep. And Christians, you can hurt somebody unintentionally while you're sleeping and not even know it. And if you're a child of God and you're not living like a child of God, you can hurt someone. They may die and go to hell because of your poor testimony if you're sleeping spiritually. So it's time for believers to wake up. And that's what Paul says in that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. What time is it? It's time to be about the Father's business. It's time for believers to witness. I must, Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it's day. For the night cometh when no man can work. What time is it? It's time for sinners to be one. When's the best time to be saved? Today. Right now. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. We need to compel people to come to Christ before it's too late. Amen? Jesus says, come. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Well, we're living in the last days, folks. The two-minute clock is running down. Time's running out. Whatever we're going to do for the Lord, we need to be about doing it because Jesus is coming soon. Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us. I praise your holy name for the assurance of my salvation, not because of my goodness, not because of my righteousness, but because of thy righteousness. Your imputed righteousness unto me, Lord, is the only reason I'm going to heaven. And, Father, I thank you for the hope that goes beyond this world. And, Father, I pray that in the time that I have left, that, Father, you would use me for your honor and your glory. And I pray for these folks here in this congregation, that, Father, you would do the same for them. And maybe there's someone here that's never been born again, or maybe someone that's not certain of their salvation. Lord, I pray that they would come during this invitation in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. are bowed and eyes are closed. I'm going to ask Liz to begin playing softly. God spoke to your heart this evening. I'm going to encourage you to find a place at the altar. What time is it, Christian? It's time for you to wake up. Don't be deceived by what's going on. There's pure wickedness. It's time for us to get busy and witness for the cause of Christ. See souls saved and won. I encourage you. Maybe you've got a lost loved one. Maybe you got a lost co-worker. Maybe you want to pray for them and commit them to the Lord. Ask the Lord to help you be a witness. Thank you, Dr. Cook. Appreciate the message tonight. Appreciate uh, him being here with us this week. Hope that you've been blessed and encouraged and uh, excited and uh, wanting to tell more people about the Lord. Amen. Uh, that's what we're all called to do. It's not just the job of the evangelist or the missionary or the pastor or the Sunday school teacher, but every born-again believer, we're called to uh, share the gospel and to tell others about how uh, the Lord loves us and he saved us. And he wants to save them as well. All right. Just want to give you a couple of quick announcements. Don't forget uh, that next Sunday we'll be having a business meeting in our PM service. And then October the 11th through the 14th is our Seedline Conference. And encourage you to be here for that. Uh, we'll, we will be providing meal for the, uh, the Monday night, which would be October the 12th. And so I think that's all the... Oh, also next Saturday or Sunday, I want to remind you, next Sunday after our AM service, we'll be having a Back to Bethlehem meeting and uh, encourage you to stick around for that so we know exactly what our plans are for next 
uh, this coming uh, back to Bethlehem season. All right, let's all stand. We'll close in a word of prayer. Thank you again for being here uh, this evening. And uh, Brother Peyton, sir, would you close this in a word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day you give us. I thank you for the service that we've heard today, Lord. I pray that you just bless Brother Cook and his ministry, Lord, and keep your hand over him. And I thank you, Lord, that we won't have to live forever in this present evil world, that you are coming back to get us. And I thank you, Lord, for the time that soon you are coming. And I pray that you just help us as we 